What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rockabotus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. She <laughs> hung up on me. Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Gospel Heard Around the World. This is Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A Radio.com. That's where you guys get us. Get all the past episodes. There's lots up there for you guys to choose from. We have a long history with some great, 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 great guests. And uh, it's wonderful, wonderful uh, stuff there. And wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful. It's so beautiful and wonderful. And, and uh, yeah, so you can go there. You can get all the podcasts. I think there's just about 200 podcasts there. Uh, you see air all over Arizona when we were at KPXQ, and that's before the Lord gave us this wonderful studio. And um, yeah, so long history. And if you do not have the app, go get a go to either the iTunes Store or go to your uh, Google Play Store and get Apologia Church's app. I just look up Apologia Church. You get the app, and you have the whole history—not everything, but most most of everything—of the teaching at Apologia Church. You have stuff there from, uh, say, Luke on the Five Points of Calvinism. You've also got stuff on God the Healer, our series we did on healing uh, from our past wounds, uh, those sorts of things in Christ. You also have our study on Romans, call that the Gospel according to Paul. Also have our series right now, The Kingdom of God, uh, an expositional look through Matthew. It's all up there for you guys. You guys can access all that content and a lot of the radio shows are there. That actually needs to be updated. Uh, but ApologiaRadio.com, you get all the podcasts. And if you sign up for All Access and partner with us as a ministry, you, of course, get to get access to all the television shows, the after show, Apology Academy, learn about apologetics, Christian worldview, defense of the faith. You get to learn about salvation, the doctrines of grace, John Sampson, Dr. James White, myself, Scott Oliphant, Douglas Wilson, and the list goes on. So it's really a 
great resource, and that's all right there at ApologiaRadio.com. want to thank you guys. Everybody who is signing up for All Access, we've had a bunch of you guys sign up for it lately, and we want to mm-hmm. just welcome you guys to our ministry. want to tell you thank you so very much for being a part of this work of Apologia Church, bringing the gospel into the culture, to the ends of the earth, providing a proclamation of the gospel and a defense of the faith. That's Luke Pearson, the bear, next to me. What up? What's up? Joy the girl. Hello. Austin's in today. What's up, Austin? Hello. And we, of course, have Steady Randy. Is there here? Steady Randy, we have in the back. Present. In a very cloudy, in a very cloudy uh, room in the back. Yeah, in the fight. There's a lot of, lot of, a lot of cloud. Do you have the fog it's, machine on in there? Yes. Marcus. <laughs> cloud Kingdom. That's what it is. Marcus, Marcus Piven, King Ginger machine. on the ones and twos. Castle in the clouds. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Okay. We had a busy day yesterday. We actually shot uh, yesterday for uh, a new thing we're doing that you will be able to access on YouTube. Apologia Studios on YouTube. There is a new weekly series dropping. It's already out, actually, yeah, it's at out. the time of recording this. Oh, that's right. So, okay. So, it as on the 13th. It dropped, and uh, can we just can we tell them what it is? Yeah, well, it's, already, it's out. already out. Yeah. All right. So, it's called The Studio. And what it is, is a little bit of a sitcom-ish thing. We're dropping weekly on Tuesday, the studio. A webisode. It's a webisode. Apologia Studios. It is just a fun little stab at a television sitcom. See, what we've said is, people have said, we've said, it's been said, that life at Apologia Studios is very much like a sitcom. And here's the thing. We actually wish the cameras have been rolling like for a year because you would get some delicious content that would crack you up so basically the show is like life in the studio it really is each episode is based on like actual events right we if some of it is exaggerated (laughs) some of it not so much and so uh yeah we just wanted to give you guys a taste of what happens here at the studio and so it's just a lot of fun some entertainment for you guys hopefully god glorifying fun entertainment you can watch it with your family your homeschool kids all that kind of stuff Thank you to Joy, the girl, for writing the scripts up for that. And uh, Marcus, direction, and all the stuff going on. Even Steady Randy is involved in the process. He Mm -hmm. shot some great shots. Some steady shots. That's right. All right, guys, so that's at (laughs) Apologia Studios. And so just keep looking out. Just keep looking out because there's going to be all kinds of stuff dropping. You're going to get lectures. You're going to get sermons. You're going to get on-the-street evangelism, apologetics. You're going to get post-bit. You're going to get worldview analysis of media. And you're going to get stuff like this, the studio. So go check it out. And if you would, share it with somebody you love and you know would like to see it. So here we go. wanted to point you guys this weekend in Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. Moines. No, in Des Moines, (laughs) Iowa. uh, It's Des Moines. Yeah. Okay, Des Moines, yeah. Iowa. Yep. yep. Okay, I'm not z. Not z. There's no z there. No. Then Des Moines, this is a word Marcus says. Iowa. <laughs> uh, Pastor Luke and I are going to uh, just whirl, whirlwind, whirl, 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 whirlwind <laughs> trip. We're going to fly up there and come back in time for church at Apologia. But I'm going to be there teaching on apologetics to the glory of God. We're going to deal with atheism, agnosticism, Mormonism. We'll be taking questions and answers. You guys can sign up. HarvestDesMoines.org. And it says the Harvest Apologetics Training Center is designed to provide believers additional education and tools on how to defend their faith. This conference is open to the public with the intention of equipping God's people for His glory. Bring your Bible and a friend and be ready to dig into God's Word. Who's invited? Anyone? When? Friday and 
Friday, September 16th, 7 to 9 p.m. Saturday, September 17th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Where? It's at Harvest Bible Church, I guess. Um, what? Get ready to defend God and the Bible through this conference, this dynamic conference will, with special guest speaker Jeff Durbin will con- contest and triumph popular misconceptions of Christianity and cults. It's a $15 registration fee, and I do believe you n- would do well to sign up early. I think there's limited seating, and I'm not even sure if there's space left, but I'm going to go ahead and announce it, and hopefully you guys can get a spot. So go ahead and sign up, guys. That's what's up. Uh, also, for all of our listeners... All of our Aussie listeners in Australia, mate. And uh, who, what are what are New Zealand? What are, so Aussie is Australia. Is there any particular name for kiwi? Kiwi. It's kiwi. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Joy. So like kiwi. The fruit. That's right. So for all my Aussie or friends, the bird. But wait a second. I think Hold on. Really? I'm pretty sure it's the bird. The but, bird. But well, wait a either, second. Either or. They're gonna go with the fruit. But one work. second though. Is it an insult to our brothers and sisters in New Zealand to call them kiwis, or is that cool? I don't think so. That's I think what they that's, call themselves. Yeah. Okay, so that's cool. Yeah. So it's not an insult. All right. All right. So all of our Aussies and all of our kiwis, I'm gonna be out there, and there's uh, Dr. White and I are teaming up for a bunch of stuff in Australia, mate. And we're going to a lot of shrimps on the Barbies. That's right. And, <laughs> on the Barbies. Uh, and then we're going to New Zealand. My daughter's coming with me. She's going to be my, my, my backup as well. Oh, my uh, God. That's going to be exciting. It's her 16th birthday. So um, so uh, let me point you guys. Actually, I don't even know. Let me, I'm, I'm going to just point you to my Facebook page. That's where I'll be posting stuff as soon as I find out what's going to happen when we're out there. Uh, that's when I'll let you guys know. I'm kind of fuzzy. I think Dr. White's kind of fuzzy as, ro- as well right now because there's all kinds of stuff being planned. Fuzzy and like a kiwi. Fuzzy like a kiwi. All right. <laughs> or a koala. So here's the thing. Uh, there's <laughs> a possibility. This is not set in stone. It may not even happen. All right. But we're putting the feelers out right now. Dr. White announced on the dividing line that uh, it'd be kind of cool to do a debate together with, he- uh, with him and myself. Against not against each other, but against uh, maybe some secularists, some atheists. So pray for that because that's a possibility. That'd be kind of cool. So we're working on that right now. Just pray for that. Lift that up. And uh, so I think that's kind of like what's happening next couple month months. Pray for us too, because as a church, we're looking for a permanent spot, and uh, some stuff is on the horizon. And it would be really really cool if that happens. So that's how you can lift us up in prayer. Also, we have it's a big time of year for us. We're actually going out to do our street evangelism outside the Mormon Temple. In Mesa, Arizona, it's about a month and a half of missionary work out there on the streets. Uh, we've seen lo- lots of people come to Christ from that evangelism, both there and via the content that we share that gets hundreds of thousands of views across the world. We've had Mormons contact us that have come to Christ. We've had Mormon missionaries contact us. We've just people everywhere that are using the content. And so just pray for that because it, even if... We show up and there's maybe five people that are there, there witnessing the evangelism. When we put that stuff out, it blesses people worldwide. So pray. Pray that God put his hand on that. So that's what's up. I thought, I thought of a way for you to earn your name that you've given yourself. That I've given myself. Okay, what's that? Uh, you need to fight a kangaroo. Oh, yeah. If you fight a kangaroo successfully, I will call you the ninja. Okay. All right. Maybe we can make can something get, like that happen. Can I get some seconds, some thirds on that? No, I think to be called Joy's a ninja, like, you'd no. have to like sneak up on the kangaroo. Though, well, then that would prove I, that you're really a ninja. Yeah, they they yeah. actually are pretty. That's what I'm saying. They can fight. That's a name that needs to be earned. They yeah, can fight, and I think that if you do anything with the kangaroo, you, it should just be hugging the kangaroo. <laughs> yes, I still love you. <laughs> I'm not against you. Like, I mean, I, I am against you karate chopping the kangaroo. 
And if you do that, I hope it hurts you. <laughs> if Have I had a pet kangaroo, like stand on their tails. Yes, yeah, they can. Yeah. 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 If I had a pet kangaroo, I'd make it carry my snacks in his pouch. <laughs> yes, you would. Luke loves his snacks. All right, so before we get, we have so much stuff planned. We're gonna try awesome. to get through Pulls the beef jerky out of the pouch. Some classic apologia <laughs> stuff today. Classic apologia. Oh, right? I don't know. Have you ever seen the inside of a kangaroo pouch, though? I don't, I don't think he's really really dirty in there. in there. No, I'm wondering how dirty is. It would uh, still be amazing. Then it can never get clean, right? Who's in no, clean it? No, they don't. There's no. Luke's gonna clean don't it. I have like it. a service that goes around and cleans right. them. I don't know. Imagine I don't those know, things. Australia. I imagine they got a lot of muck in those things. Yeah. Yeah. Muck and mire. Well. Okay. How amazing is God? Pretty amazing. That He gave a a pocket to kangaroos to hold little Joey's in. See, it's a Joey, right? Isn't a little baby it's kangaroo called a Joey? Yeah. Yep. Thank you. So little Joey's inside there. That the fruit God of the bird. God put that there. It makes me think of uh, <laughs> wasn't that gentleman Broncos where we had the flesh pocket? Yeah, he the did. Flesh pocket. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's right. So yeah, gentleman Broncos. What a movie. That was amazing. Anybody else know about gentleman Broncos? Have you guys seen gentleman Broncos? Austin, it's here. You have to watch it today. Marcus, that's your assignment. I've not. <laughs> no. You haven't seen? You not watched that? No. It's, it is very funny. It is like family brilliant. movie. Speaking of kiwis, Wait, I would so recommend the man who made. Um, uh, Napoleon what's that? Napoleon Dynamite yeah. made Gentleman yeah. Broncos. And speaking yes. of Kiwis, Jermaine Clement is in New Zealand. Gentleman Broncos. That's right. He's <laughs> in New Zealand. Yeah. Yes. yes. And he also. is also in Gentleman Broncos. That's right. <laughs> All right, we're going to have some fun before we start today. We're actually going to touch a lot of stuff. We're going to try to play clips across the board from Dr. James White, Douglas Wilson, uh, Dr. Greg Bonson, Robert Gagnon on um, really on the unbelievable radio program talking with um, somebody who is an advocate for homosexuality. So we're going to try to get through a bunch of those for you guys today just to hopefully bless you guys with some encouragement. <laughs> All right, Can I tell a story about yes. a really bad backhanded compliment that I got? Yes. It was like, it's the worst one I've ever gotten in my entire life. I was talking to my boss at a previous job and it's going to be hard to keep this kind of like, you're going to know which job I'm talking about. But so I was talking to her and she was telling me that she hired someone else. She was like, so I hired this guy and because he's a guy, he's going to be able to like unload all the inventory really quick because he's a guy. And also he's really skinny, which all the bakers I've known that are like really good bakers are really, really skinny. (laughs) And so then I was like, oh, we talked more. And then my boss was like, well, there was a girl that used to be able to unload the inventory, but she wasn't a girly girl like you. And so it was just this like succession of, of like backhanded compliment after backhanded compliment. And I walked out of the store and I was like, what just even happened? Like at the mo- <laughs> in the to- like at the time, I didn't take it badly, but mm. as I walked away, I was like, I feel horrible. <laughs> Jeff and I experienced one of those once. What? I'm not going to mention the person's name. But we were interviewed on this person's show. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this person literally says, starts laughing. <laughs> I gotta admit, the first time I heard your show, I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. It was awful. Like, I hate Terrible. your voices. You, just, you should have seen a look in our faces. We're like, what? Yeah, what? that that interview. See if you can go find it. It's out there somewhere. We got. Uh, it was the most awkward moment I think we've ever had yeah. in an interview. It I was, give. I think I accidentally give backhanded. If you, I mean, if you mean for it to be backhanded, 
I guess it is. But if you don't mean for it to be, like, does it still count as backhanded? You know the worst place in the world for those sort of things is the internet. Right. Like comments in, in the internet. Right. I mean, you know, I was thinking about that before we go to break. We get <laughs> thousands of comments a day in our on our YouTube channel. Which I'll be reading some soon. Yes. And here here's the thing. People might say, well, just shut them off. Like if you like Dr. White. He doesn't even allow comments on his channel. Right. And we didn't early on. Like we used we, to be like that, Because yeah. when we first released it, we actually had the same policy. We're like, we released it, and uh, the comments were open. But as soon as we left it open, if you left it up for 10 minutes, it was like the nastiest stuff right. would come up. And I was like, well, there's like people. I, I just don't want to even get... We're just going to shut it down. And so we just shut down the com- comments. But then, of course, we discovered that when you actually uh, allow YouTube, I mean, they let you on their, they use their service for free, but if you let them advertise on your channel, they pay you. And yeah. so they actually uh, help to fund the ministry. Mm-hmm. So we actually are able to, you know, pay our rent and those sorts of things with our YouTube um, uh, channel. But uh, so here's the thing. when The more comments there are, the more that pushes that up in YouTube's, uh, like, suggested videos. Right. Which means that you, if you leave the comments, when people leave us nasty comments, like atheists are saying very nasty things yeah. about us, it, we're getting we're getting paid. You're actually funding our ministry right. when you say nasty so things. Keep going. Yeah, so we get thousands of comments a day, and let me tell you what: like a few times, like I'll maybe see a video and and just see how it's doing, and and uh, and then I'll see the comments. Oh my goodness! Like, and my kids sometimes will be like, Dad. I pulled your videos up. Oh my goodness, you just seen with this kid. It's just for no reason, right. the most nasty insults. Well, and I, when I watch a crazy YouTube video and I scroll down and the comments are disabled, I'm always a little bit sad. Like, I want to see the craziness. <laughs> I feel like that's a part of YouTube. Because everyone thinks what they have to say is so important. It yeah. is. It is important. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and intelligent. <laughs> and right. intelligent. Yeah, well thought out. People will say the nastiest random things our, out of nowhere. Our YouTube commenters are so good at just saying whatever they want i love it it's like they don't care they just do what they want like the honey badgers (laughs) uh all right guys so we'll take a quick break we'll come right back we're gonna touch a lot of different subjects today i think i think we'll start with the robert gagnon um uh clip on the unbelievable uh podcast with justin briley premiere christian radio the guy gagged on the show gagnon interesting name very unique name yeah, Gagnon. So he wrote, actually, um, Homosexuality in the Bible, I think is the name of the book. It is uh, an epic, epic work uh, from cover to cover in the Bible on the issue of homosexuality. And he exegetes all the major passages. It is unassailable, in my estimation, and you should get it. If you don't have it in your library and you want to get into this subject, uh, you can't do better than that book. And that's a fact. So I would say two books you need is the one is The Queer Thing Happened to America by mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Brown. That gives you a bit of context and background as to how um, people that are advocates for LGBTQ, RS, LMNOP uh, (laughs) issues um, got to where they're at today within a generation. And uh, the research he did for that was just amazing. Uh, but that you need that book in your library, but you also need Robert Gagnon's uh, book in your library to deal with the exegetical issues. It's very, very good, very important work. So we're going to play a clip uh, where he's talking to somebody on the Unbelievable program, and uh, you should hear it. It's good stuff. So be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com is where you get us. You bless us, guys. We love and 
you and are thankful for you guys, those of you guys that have been with us for a very long time. We're grateful. So be right back. Apologia Radio. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world, not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college to equip students with the tools to build and fight. This is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, visit us online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you are hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face need to be ready to provide an apologia yep I used I used Dr. White's pronunciation there to provide an apologia a reason defense for our faith for the hope that's within us everyone who asks us a reason now of course that's the standard for Christians in the kingdom of God throughout history that's from the apostle Peter 1 Peter 3.15 the charter verse of all Christian apologetics right there Christians defending our faith and what we believe. And we live in a time where we've seen in about a generation, we've seen a complete turn over from um, our heritage, our Christian heritage in this nation. Now, was there ever a point on this soil where it was a Christian utopia? No. Christians made mistakes. Christians had sins. But let's, we can't deny the fact that it was reformed Protestants. It was Calvinists that started this great nation. And yes, Christians in this nation were formed as a people. The colonies existed with a functioning government as a functioning nation long before the Declaration of Independence, long before the Constitution. You had the New England pulpit that actually gave this nation its heritage, gave us um, our independence. It was the Presbyterian, Anglican, solid Anglican, not the new Anglicanism. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had the Baptist, Congregationalist, uh, Reformed Christians, the Puritans, the Pilgrims, the 
the believers who, who gave us this nation, they were formed together with a functioning government and a society on, for the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, they said in their charter documents, in the laws governing their, their, their um, communities, they would state without being ashamed in any way that Jesus Christ was Lord the God, the Trinitarian God of the Scriptures was the God over their society. They shaped and ordered their society in such a way as to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all areas of life. As a matter of fact, our nation, before we had public schools, had one of the highest literacy rates in the entire world, the whole planet. Uh, we didn't have public school education uh, system. We didn't have the government involved in that. Typically, if you wanted to learn... If you wanted to be educated, you would even learn from the pastor in your community. You went to his house even, and you went to the church, and you learned your ABCs, and you did so based on the Bible, and you learned a biblical worldview, and, and it was the church that actually educated the community, and so that's where we, where, it's where we came from. But all of society was ordered around the glory of Jesus Christ, and they would even state, again, in some of their charter documents, that the reason they had come over was to propagate the Christian message, to expand the kingdom of the Messiah, and for the sake of the gospel and the, the kingdom of Christ. That's, what, that's where it came from. And so you had colonies, many of the colonies, that actually had state churches, mm-hmm. uh, state, state churches. You had, again, even some instances on the East Coast where if you wanted to run for political office, you had to be a baptized Trinitarian Christian. Well, see, that's our heritage. Now, I'll say it. I don't know if I've said it before, but I'll say it. I think that one of the most devastating things that happened to the people in this nation in terms of our culture, in terms of our law, was when we had our what most people refer to as our founding. This might kind of shock some people. Declaration of Independence. You can point directly from the laws that are there right down to the biblical worldview. So they were, of course, appealing to the Bible. That was in the air. Right. That's, that was the framework, right? Laws for personal self-defense, laws against a tyrannical government, laws for justice. You talk about um, illegal search and seizure. You need warrants. Those sorts of things come from biblical law, not pagan law. Biblical law, not atheistic law. Okay. So yes, there's biblical framework there. Also, you have the Constitution. Are there is there biblical law in the Constitution? I mean, you can see almost direct quotations from Scripture in the Constitution. So yes, but it's a mixed document. And I will have to say, I think one of the worst things that ever happened to us as a nation, again, with us functioning as a society with a government long before we declared our independence from England, long before the Constitution, we were a functioning society with government. Mm-hmm. It was doing fine. Okay. Um, so here's my point. Why am I saying that? Our nation didn't begin at the at the um, Declaration of Independence and at the Constitution in terms of okay, now we are really a people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were Christians with an ordered society long before that. Here with a government and even ready presidents. George Washington was not really truly the first president of the United States of America. If you want to know more, more about that, go go listen to our episode we did with Dr. George Grant on the history of our nation. We talk a bit about that. Uh, or pick up, uh, just go to George Grant, president, on YouTube, and I think there's even a portion of his message up there on that particular subject. Well, what you might be saying, what in the world are you getting at, Jeff? Believe me, this all ties the room together. Believe me. Um, I think the most devastating thing that happened to us as a, as a culture and society that started kind of the, the, the downfall was at the beginning. What most people see as the beginning, I think that was actually the beginning of the downfall. And that was where we took out 
the specificity mm. with which the Christians before the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution spoke about Jesus Christ. So when we removed Trinitarian language from our founding documents, which was already in the documents previous to that, prior to that, okay? When we took out the name of Jesus Christ out of the Constitution, right. out of the Declaration of Independence, we lost our ability to point to the Principium, to the source of our rights and our laws in this nation. Now, you'd see God's blessing upon this great nation. Do I believe that this nation is just such an awful mess and it's just a terrible place? No, I think we're in sin right now as a nation and I think judgment is coming if we don't have national repentance. But listen, from that point on, though we've been blessed by God and loved by God and given His mercy as a nation, I believe that one of some of the greatest woes we've experienced as a nation come from the fact that we have abandoned God as a culture and society, and I think that our nation broke covenant with God. Mm. When you name Jesus Christ and the Trinitarian God in, as, 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 the, as the top of your society, who's in charge of this community? Jesus. Who, who dictates law and rights in this community? Jesus. Well, where do I go for the source of the ultimate foundation of this, of this community and culture? Well, that's the Bible, that. Now, when we go now to our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, though there are great things there and God's blessed our nation through those documents, the failure was removing Jesus Christ from the source as the foundation. And as a result, now the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, becomes infinitely malleable. It's a, it can, You can... It's pliable. You can maneuver mm. around it. You can say, well, what does that really mean? And where do I go for the ultimate standard? Certainly not to God in the Bible. So let's make those documents a living document. Let's make them a living, breathing document that can change with the culture and the time. So now we find ourselves in the last generation. Church is not clearly communicating the gospel, the need for repentance and faith. And we have a culture that can't point to Jesus. We, we lie to one another and we say, separation of church and state. <laughs> separation of church and state. And what does our culture mean when they say that now? Not what our founders meant, for goodness sakes. They did not mean when they would say things like separation of church and state, separation of God and state. Mm. They did not mean that. What they meant was what the Bible means when they talk about, when the Bible talks about separation of church and state. And that is that there are different spheres of government given by God that are both under God that cannot cross lines. So, for example, it's not the church's role to execute justice in a society. It's the church's role to proclaim the gospel, to minister to the broken, to raise people up, to speak prophetically into a culture, uh, to teach God's people, to work on sanctification. And it's the church, of the, it's, this, it's the role of the government under God to actually wield the sword of justice, to be God's avenger of justice in a society, but to be so under God. So when they meant separation of church and state, that's what they meant. They didn't mean separation of God and government. Nope. They didn't mean that. And further, when you move today to where we're at today, you say, how in a generation did we get so far as to a place where you have public service announcements and public service film that talk about homosexuality in a way that, boy, oh boy, if you played that today, you might get jailed for hate crimes, hmm. right? 
They saw homosexuality in the 40s and 50s as a sin. They saw it even as a crime. They saw it as a problem in society. And that was in the 40s and 50s to the point, again, you had public service announcements against homosexuality. You can go to YouTube and watch the videos. The old footage. So in a generation, essentially, we flipped. And again, I think that when you remove your nation from covenant with God and the obedience of Jesus Christ, you abandon the ability to point to any ultimate foundation. And then it's a free-for-all. It's personal preference. Right? Mm. And then you have the active work that the homosexual advocates have been involved in where they have worked to shape culture according to their worldview. While Christians have stepped away from culture, unbelievers and pagans have actually grabbed hold of culture and said, mine. Whereas believers are waiting for the rapture and escape, unbelievers are saying, the unbelieving will inherit the earth. Do you see? Mm. And so we've stepped away, and so now we reap what we sow. Here we are. So what I'm getting at here is this, is that as believers today, if we're ever to reclaim this world for Jesus Christ, and I believe that it will be reclaimed for Jesus Christ, but it doesn't mean it's going to be pretty on the way there, okay? If we're ever going to do so, we have to clearly communicate the gospel, the biblical worldview, and the message of repentance in such a way that people can hear us. It's done with boldness, affection, compassion, respect, but Dr. Robert Gagnon does that, I believe, and he was on the what unbelievable <laughs> radio program, and uh, this is just him <clears throat> speaking with an advocate of homosexuality and somebody that actually tries to say that it is something that is blessed by God, and so I want you guys to hear it. Here we go. In which you're talking about. The word epithemeo is used for a desire for any form of sexual intercourse expressly forbidden by God. And the language of being inflamed is likewise used. It doesn't mean that they're just overlusted or they're, uh, Paul is talking about only constitutional heterosexuals. The argument is used as a structural argument for any desire for any sexual behavior that God has prohibited by definition is an inflaming, whether or not we perceive it as being well, I, I mean, Jane talked about, okay, what about the scenario where it's people, it talks about exchanging their natural desires for, for unnatural. Right. Could that be in the context of a heterosexual person, as it were, in an unnatural way, trying out homosexuality when no. it isn't actually their God-given desire. No, and right. this is why even when Bernadette Bruton addresses that argument, the New Testament lesbian scholar I mentioned, or again, William Loder, they say, no, it doesn't work that way. That's not what's being exchanged here in the context. What's being exchanged here in the context very clearly, because this is the parallel between the discussion about idolatry and sexual immorality with same-sex intercourse singled out, the context for the argument... By the way, they're, they're in Romans 1 here. So Not just that all sin, but that all deliberately suppress the truth about God accessible to them. And by that, in the context, Paul means a nature argument, that God manifests who he is and what he has created on the basis of the material structures of creation. That's the clear evidence, so that even when people don't have the direct revelation of Scripture, from Genesis or Leviticus or otherwise, they're still on apogaletos, that is, they're without excuse, without legitimate defense, because that revelation of God well, is Robert, given I'm, in... Can I okay, in? yeah, let, let's, let's, let's pass so the ball to, to, to Jane for a little while. Okay. Let's yeah. go, but I think 
Robert, I admire your certainty on everything. And frankly, I have to be honest, I don't care how many hundred pages people have written. I'm very much reminded of the wisdom of the wise. I will frustrate. For me, it's about the nature of God and his love for us. I'm afraid your certainty that this is so wrong leaves no room whatsoever for giving life to people who... um, I'm thinking of a teenager who's just committed suicide. I mean, you have a message of death, and you're so certain about it. I pray for you and your soul, because I think, I hope, that your leaders, your your listeners, um, Justin, will listen um, deeply with their hearts as to what they feel is truly happening here. So just let's let's address that for a second. This is the common. This is the that is, that's a passive aggressive uh, backhanded passive aggressive thing. Yeah, there you go. That, that works well with our show for today. You're, just, right? you're so certain, right? That your your certainty is going to make teenagers kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and this is this is the mo of the culture in the West today in terms of how they fight against the Christian message in the biblical worldview. You know, think about what the what kind of a tacit admission that is when she says, "I don't care how many pages somebody has written." Mm. So, in other words, there is there is the there is the waving of the hand. There is the just the the nudging aside of the actual substantive arguments, right? And so, I don't care, Doctor Gagnon, that you've written argue, uh, arguments from the scriptures, exegeting these texts from God's word that. That cause you to come to the conclusions that you do. I'm not going to address them. I'm just going to wave my hand and say something like, "I don't care how many pages you've written on this. This is about giving life. Yours is a message of death." I think about the the teenager that commits suicide. And so, what what do you have there? Emotion, emotion, emotion. Mm. Tug, tug, tug. Love, love, love. Life, life, life. And you have people go, "Oh yes, that's what we want." And so what do you do? You tug at the image of, a God, of God in a person and you say, we don't love death, do we? And he goes, no, I don't love death. And well, don't you want life? Yeah, goodness, I want life. I'm in the image of God. And, and, and oh, man, yeah, I don't want a teenager to kill themselves. What are you doing there? You're pulling at the heartstrings of an image bearer of God. But what are you saying? You want to borrow that part and you want to say, we should give life, not death. So you pull at that part of the image of God, but then you reject the other revelation of God that actually speaks to us about what is actually right and good to do with our bodies. Now, Gagnon goes to the scriptures and said, well, God has spoken, revealed himself here, and this is what he says in his word. And this person, this woman will not even touch it. All she does is wave the hand and say, I don't care how many pages you've written. I'm going to respond by talking about love. And as believers, we've got to be able to call that out when we see it. Mm. I say, well, that's not really a response, is it? Because you see, what you want is the revelation of God that gives value and dignity to human beings. The revelation of God that says life is something meaningful and we should all actually uphold those things that relate to life. But you don't want God's revelation regarding how we should live our lives. That's the problem, Mm. is that you want one part of God's revelation about what is good in terms of humanity and image of God and life, and you don't want the other part of God's revelation where God talks about how we're supposed to actually spend our time sexually. And that's the problem. And as believers, we have to be able to point out the drawing on the heartstrings. We've got to be able to point it out and say, no, 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 listen, no, I want all those things too. But actually, it's your message that's the message of death and not a message of life. And that really is the point of Romans 1. What does the end say? Romans 1, the text says, though they know 
that those who practice such things are worthy of what? Death. Death. They not only do them, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's what the text says. So the message of death is the person that looks to Romans 1, sees God talking about the great exchange that takes place and God turning people over to their sins to do what is against nature. It's the person who says, well, I know God says that, but I'm going to call that good. I'm going to call that life. Although God says, that's death. You see? Mm. That's, how these, that's how it works. And as Christians, we've got to be able to actually respond to it and would, say, go ahead. I'd say even scientifically, that statement doesn't work. No, yeah. And Does he get to that? He gets to that. You, okay. You're referring to like the, the lifestyle? Well, yeah. Just one, you can't produce life from right. that lifestyle. That's right. And two, the rate of death is much greater. But if he's getting to that, well. Yeah, he gets to it. But exactly right. Yeah. Well, yet. and it's a false cause fallacy to say oh. that... Um, oh, it's a big big term <laughs> to say that what we're saying yeah. is actually the cause of suicide right that's not even an intelligible argument yeah. so actually if you really do like if that pulls at your heartstrings and you care about people that want to commit suicide that's not actually the cause right. so you're not actually going to be able to prevent suicide by caring about that right thing that's right so, uh, actually, that's a good point because that gets touched. Have you heard this yet? No. No. Okay. So that good good points because watch this this all comes. It gets a little crazy for a moment here, but it, he gets to it. You can, when I was at Procter and Gamble in my uh, first year, I was given a set of um, four hundred pages of research. Um, and asked to go and write a business plan for the launch of something called Fairy Sensitive. And I spent hours doing it, brought all the, the, the data I could find and took it to the board. And uh, we had a long discussion about it. And half an hour after, um, afterwards, I was called back into the board. And they said, Jane, we've decided not to launch. Can you use the same set of research and go and write another business plan <laughs> as to why it's absolutely the wrong thing to do? Mm. And with exactly the same data, mm. I went and made another case. And the ultimate thing is what is going on in our spirits beforehand to try and help us interpret this mm. and i would suggest that the ultimate place to start is looking at christ what christ has done for us which is to ensure that in the, his death on the christ there is nothing else that is needed to bring everyone into the kingdom i think you've distorted why why pray tell did jesus <laughs> die on the cross you see you see, the, the tugging at the heartstrings, God is a God of love, and Jesus died for sinners to bring us into his kingdom. Amen to that, right? Mm-hmm. But why did, he die on the, why did he die on the cross? He died on the cross for adultery. He died on the cross for homosexuality. He died on the cross for uh, theft. He died on the cross for murder. He died on the cross for covetousness. Do you see? He died on the cross for lying, bearing false witness. That God died on the cross for those things, so to point to Christ's cross and say that's where this discussion should be had, we should say yes, 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 yes. But what happened on that cross? Why? That's the question to ask. Mm. Guys, anything? No? Go ahead. Okay. Actually, the, giving the truncated version of the gospel, I think that's part of the problem, your whole picture. But I also want to address the fact, earlier you had somewhat of an ad hominem attack on me 
with regard to my certainty, which I think is inappropriate. Okay, first of all, it may be that a particular case in Scripture does have overwhelming evidence. So it's a kind of manipulative argument to then say your certainty is the problem. Maybe it's your lack of ability to respond to the arguments in question, and then you lash out with an ad hominem attack at somebody that's their certainty that's the problem. Maybe the problem is your inability to actually defend the position. And then you have an overarching presentation of the gospel that seems to completely leave out the fact that Christ doesn't just call us to get what we want. He calls us to take up our cross, to lose our lives, and deny deny ourselves. That doesn't, to Mm me, Mm. sound like getting what I want, when I want it, with whom I want it with. That's not quite what Jane said, in in a sense. But, but, okay, look, I I don't want to... One thing that bothers me about Justice Riley is is that he he does that very, very often. (laughs) He he gets really, really bothered here by the fact that they are in a heated exchange, and that's just one thing that bothers me about Justin Riley. He's such a mediator. He is, yes, and, uh, yeah, it is. It, it does irk me sometimes. Ultimately, that's how she expresses. Wait, 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 I, I finish it. Let me finish now. I've been interrupted repeatedly Robert. after oh, earlier sentence. So let me just wait, finish wait, my wait. thought. You're the let one who's interrupted me. Here. No, no, you've done it repeatedly. Well, that, I could have noted it, but I didn't. Okay, now well, I'm well, look, okay. let me just finish this. Let me just finish my train of thought because you've interrupted me again repeatedly. My train of thought is you have a notion about what fullness of life is, and that fullness of life is not reflected in the gospel. Paul, on a regular basis, had a life much more troubling than yours, mine, or anyone else around here. Every day he would get up in the morning. He could be beaten by rods by secular authorities. He could be whipped 40 lashes minus one in the synagogues. He could be stoned, and we're not talking about drugs here. He was poorly sheltered, poorly clad, poorly fed, in constant anxiety for his churches. By your token of definition of what a meaningful existence is, he should have been absolutely miserable and blame God every day of his life for the kind of experiences he had, even beaten up just en route to share the gospel without actually sharing it. What's the point of that? Shipwrecked, etc. His point is that he's rejoicing. Because as he carries around in the body the dying of Jesus, the life of Jesus is being manifested in him. As he is brought to the point of wondering whether he's he's even going to live the next day, as he talks about in 2 Corinthians 1, he is brought to the point of relying on the God who raised him from the dead. That's what cruciform existence is like. Let's allow Jane to respond. One other point. On a personal (laughs) note, you are not the only one that's ever suffered. Okay. Okay. All of us have suffered. I could deal, I could talk to you about personal experiences that I've had. But the suffering that I go through, the experience I go through never entitles me to violate the commandments of God. Let's let's allow a couple of minutes for Jane. Can I just ask, We're is this, to... um, Is there a camera on this room? Justin? No, there is not. Because no, it'd no. be interesting, wouldn't it? How many fingers are being wagged at me um, <laughs> all at once? Anyway, no, I think the ultimate okay. um, thing is what people feel that God has called them to. Of course it's not about uh, what I just want. I mean, if, I don't think Rob knows much of my story. If he did, he might want to take back quite a lot of That's what he's just said. Uh, well, well let, let's, let's um, just allow Jane to, to complete her. And I thoughts. think the important thing here is understanding what it, courage is needed mm. to embrace what Christ calls us to do and at whatever cost. And I believe pers- passionately that on the cross, when Christ was dying and the um, thief on the cross next to him, who we know very little about, apart from the mm. fact that he was criminal enough to warrant mm. the death penalty, looks at Christ and Christ says, today you'll be with me in paradise because he called on him. And I know that in that... What does any of this mean? Is, is, is Barley the one hemming and hawing going, hmm, is that him? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. But, uh, so, you've, you, it'd be good for us to get past the fact that she has a delicious accent. 
which makes almost <laughs> everything she say, says wonderful. We should get like Steady Randy to say something like really heretical, but say it in a really just beautiful, Steady Randy way. Yeah, that's right. And we'll all just, oh, oh yeah, that's, yes. yeah, that's, yes, 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 really yes. tickle the ears. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Relationship with Christ, where I have given my life to serve him at quite a cost. Mm. I will do everything and anything to make sure that my life is worthy of him. And I agree with you. It's not just about getting um, what I want out of his Rob. It's about constantly seeking what it is that he would have me do. And what he'd have me do right now is try and save the lives of many LGBT young people whose lives have been ripped apart and who are absolutely suffering because of an evil and very misguided theology that we've put forward over the years. Yeah, and actually the greater suffering has occurred by condoning the behavior because the reason why we have disproportionately high rates of measurable harm in same-sex unions is not because of so-called societal homophobia. It's because of the absence of true gender complements in the relationship. Otherwise, the disproportionately high rates of harm between male and female homosexuality would be basically the same. Same types of harm. Wait a minute, you're interrupting. Well, again well we Same are going to have to go to a break so okay. so let, let's let's so maybe let finish let's just let, let's finish the thought there we'll take a quick break we'll all cool down a bit <laughs> and um and, and we'll come back just for a final five or ten minutes uh, you're listening to unbelievable very passionate opinions here in the studio that's fine that's what we can do here on unbelievable um and uh, we'll all go away and shake hands i'm sure at the end as well but let's start with you rob um just um yeah so tell us what, what's your overall assessment of the kind of debate we've been having and you've been having this debate i'm sure with many other people as well well i just to finish my earlier thought uh th- there's a reason why there's a disproportionately high rate of problems with homosexual unions and they differ according to gender type male and female it's not at all surprising that men exhibit much higher numbers of sex partners over the course of a lifetime than does any other group including relative to lesbians and a much higher rate of sexually transmitted diseases that's that's exactly what we would expect when we put two men together without the moderating influence of a sexual complement woman and with women we have actually surprisingly it seems at first but actually makes sense lower longevity of the relationships on average even relative to male homosexual unions and higher incidence of mental health issues relating to them simply because women generally do invest more of their self-worth more of their identity in the relationships and that added stress that both women put on the relationships is conducive to relational breakup by the way i'm not the only one to mention that uh, sociologists like stacy and Blas have also who self-identifies lesbian also make the same point as to why lesbian relationships don't last as long. Now, these disproportionately high rates of uh, measurable harm according to gender type aren't the main problem. They're the symptoms of the root harm, which is too much identity on the part of the participants. And that's the kind of loving aspect that Scripture is concerned about. We don't want people to engage in behavior that elicit higher rates of harm. We don't want people sort of dishonoring, this is the language Paul uses in Romans 1, their gendered self by believing that somehow a person of the same sex as their sexual complement. If the logic of, a, of other sex union is the two halves of the sexual spectrum unite into a single integrated sexual whole, the logic of a same-sex union is two half-males become a whole-male, two half-females become a whole-female. That's the dishonoring element, the perception that I am erotically aroused by what I share in common with another, the basic males with essential maleness, females with essential femaleness. 
that aspect that there's something incomplete in my gendered existence as a male, not in relation to the other sex, but in relation to the same sex. That's the problematic dimension that Scripture deals with. And love doesn't have to do with promoting a behavior that promotes that kind of self-dishonoring or elicits the higher measure of harm. Love has to do with reclaiming people for the kingdom. It doesn't always mean it's going to be in accordance with the desires that we have, but it's in accordance with God's well wishes for us. Again, Paul, in his most excruciating moments of life, even when he's in prison, rejoices on a regular basis because he knows there's an inverse relationship between he himself living and Christ living in him. And in that sense, for you, people who do experience same-sex attraction but who are convicted of the Christian call have to suffer in that sense, in the way Paul suffered for his faith, for the kingdom. It's part of Christian discipleship. It's part of denying oneself, taking up one's cross. Everyone is going to have a different element. I'm not saying we shouldn't either think diminish the difficulty for a person with same-sex attractions, nor should we elevate it to the highest level, as if all others haven't experienced some similar thing or things even worse than that. That's a good point. A good place to stop, I think, right there is is that discussion. That was a beautiful. That was beautifully put. Yeah, by Doctor Gagnon. That was really, really amazing. Just explaining uh, that mirror image I- issue when we, as image of God, uh, male to male, love a mirror image of ourselves, and same thing for female to female. When we love the mirror image, I will say, as a married person, that it this is all true stuff, and everybody who's married has got to know what I'm talking about. And the issue of how the female relationship um, to, to the male relationship does temper the man, mm. does actually affect the man. It changes the man, not for the worse, for the better. I mean, there are aspects to, to how males just do maleness, uh, even in sinful kinds of ways, that having a wife tempers you. It, it does change you. Mm. And the same thing goes from male to female relationship. There are aspects to my wife and things that she struggles with as a female. These are common female struggles that having a male in her life to love her and to point her to God and to encourage her, there are aspects to that relationship, mine with her, that changes her for the better. There's a mutual uh, benefit to having male and female together as one that blesses the two the two in one union and you just do not get those things with male to male and female to female because it wasn't made to work that way mm. and and it, and you can understand let's be honest here and let's speak let's speak frankly you can understand um, given the nature of our our sinful proclivities as men, you can understand why the sexually transmitted disease rate amongst homosexual populations is so high. You can understand it. Mm. Just put it together. People understand that. What men struggle with, large scale, largely, and not that women don't, but what men do, is lust. There, there is a, there's a lack of self-control at times uh, in the male population in terms of the sins that we deal with. Mm. And when you take men who in an unbridled fashion um, are released to do what they want to do with their bodies and to satisfy their lusts, to serve the God of their own belly, their own, of their own desires, you release them to that and there is, this, there is such a high rate of, uh, of sexual partners that the average homosexual male has that you can understand why the lifespan for the homosexual male is much lower 
than that of the heterosexual male. You can understand why the sexually transmitted disease rate is so high in that population. You can't understand it because there is no tempering of uh, effect on those men. There is just the release to do as you please and to satisfy your lusts. And, you know, the same thing goes for the women uh, in, in, in the lesbian relationship. There is still a high level of sexually transmitted diseases in that community as well. And there is also the destructive elements that happen within there. And, um, yeah, it, it, because why? Because you're made by God to live a particular way. And you can't function in God's world. You can't function in God's world properly living contrary to how God made you. Right. I've used often when I talk about issues like this. Look, you know, um, if if somebody you had a buddy and they took you outside and said, hey, I need you to take my car and drive it to L.A. for me. Okay, and you say, "Okay, I'll do that for you. Okay, thanks, man. Thanks for doing me a favor. I drive your car to L.A. for you and you go outside to the carport and the guy opens up the trunk. And he gives you a broomstick and he says, "Okay, here you go. I want you to to go ahead and hop in and, and take it to L.A. You'd be like. Okay, you mean drive from the trunk? Well, yeah, go ahead and drive from the trunk. Well, it wasn't designed that way. It's designed for me to sit in the front seat. That's why the wheel's where it's at. That's why the pedals are where they're at. That's why the key goes where it goes. That's mm. why the windshield is right there to protect me from getting bugs and hit with stuff. And that's why it's designed that way. Driver from the trunk? Well, here's what's going to happen. If you ask me to drive it from the trunk... I might be able to manipulate that steering wheel and get it rolling in motion. I might be able to actually push on the gas pedal with that broomstick and I might be able to get that car rolling but eventually I'm going to crash this car or I'm going to kill somebody or myself why because I'm not doing it according to its design Mm. and yes you may be able to actually live in a homosexual relationship as image of God and it might seem like it actually works right but eventually you're going to crash that car you're going to injure somebody you're going to injure yourself why because you're doing it contrary to the design and by the way lest you think I'm picking on you same thing goes for a heterosexual relationship. If I don't live according to God's ways and his standards for my life as a husband, as a father, and then guess what? My marriage gets blown up. My relationship with my kids get blown up. Blown up. That's why we have dysfunctional families and hurt kids and you have separated marriages and that's why you have marriages that fail. Why? When you have a male-female relationship and the male in that male-female relationship decides to go elsewhere to satisfy his desires with another woman... As a heterosexual, what's he do? He destroys that woman. He destroys himself. He destroys his wife. He destroys his kids. We got to deal with that stuff all the time mm-hmm. in church. The collateral damage of heterosexual sin within marriage. We got to deal with that as well. Why? You're not living according to the design. But isn't it amazing that if you actually have a male-female relationship, the way that God calls us to have it, and you actually live your lives, male-female under God, according to God's commandments, isn't it amazing that if we did it God's way, we wouldn't have sexual transmitted diseases the way that we have them today? Isn't it amazing that if we lived God's way, we would actually have marriages where love is a thriving aspect of the marriage and the relationship and union? Isn't it amazing if we lived under God's commandments and according to his law, we'd actually have children that didn't grow up in broken homes and didn't have to deal with fatherlessness? Hmm. Isn't it amazing that you look in the prison system today, you look at the people in the prison system today that are there, incarcerated, that are there even for 20-year sentences or, or, or lifetime sentences, you, you look across the population, what are you dealing with in jail systems? What are you dealing with? Families that functioned, ordered according to the law of God? No. You're dealing with a bunch of fatherless children. That's what you have. 
So isn't it amazing if we live according to God's way, we live in a society that is ordered, that is beautiful, that is experiencing shalom, peace. All right, guys, go ahead. I think it's it's interesting that for the for the individual Christian who experiences this argument, it usually comes back to some kind of a psychological argument that you are denying somebody something that they uh, ought to be able to have and that you're being unloving. And I think uh, uh, Gagnon brought this up fairly well. We're interested. Our love is expressed in concern for the impact of destructive relationships on the person. Right. That's one aspect of it. We're interested in the impact of the destructive relationship on the community as a whole. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we're also interested in how this impacts God's relationship towards us as individuals, communities, nations. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Guys, anything else? Well said, Randy. Yes, sir. Anything else? I don't know. There's much else to add to Let's it. Let's move on. Next piece here. Let's do another quick little discussion um, on uh, ooh, this. Is, let's let's do sort of a, it's a fun one, I think. Let's do Dr. White versus David Silverman, uh, famous, well-known atheist. Uh, this was the debate. It's on YouTube. I'm so happy that Dr. White released and 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 rich released these all these debates on their youtube channel just for the world to see it's really a a gift i remember back in the day i had to actually pay to download these things to be able Mm. to watch them but now they're all up there and so this is a great debate this is actually a debate where dr white was supposed to be debating christopher hitchens but about a month before the debate he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and so he couldn't do the debate so david silverman uh hopped in his place and so this is a good portion of the debate i think we'll learn a lot from and I'm really excited about this because we actually get to jab at summer. Uh-oh. Mr. Silverman, to win the debate this evening, uh, you need to establish that the New Testament is evil. Uh, could you explain to us, based upon your naturalistic worldview, uh, how something can be evil? First of all, to win the debate this tonight, I have to prove that it's evil better than you can prove that it's not. How can I explain something that is evil is that evil is a judgment call based on our current morality. You and I are humans. We are thinking humans, and evil is a human concept. What some religions do, and Christianity does this, is that it takes human morality and it defends it by adding a mythology to it, thereby strengthening the human morality, I should say, giving the credit for that morality, for those judgment calls, to a book so that they're not questioned. You, you just said that evil is a judgment call based upon current morality. Current yep. morality amongst whom? Current morality among living humans. All living humans? No. Living humans in this area. It changes. Morality is a relative statement. So, Living humans in this area... Where? The community he's currently holding the debate? The people in that room? The city that they're in? The state they're in? The nation they're in? Where, where's, and he says it's, it's ultimately arbitrary. Morality is arbitrary. Right. And here's the thing. That's all atheism has going for itself. You've got to give some sort of an answer as an image bearer of God. You don't want to live in a world that actually would live according to atheism. So you have to live in a world that uh, would have some sort of restraint. So you have to say, well, there's got to be some justification for morality. So let's say that it's current morality with the people in this area, the ones around me, I suppose. Absolutely no, 
Yeah, so confidently. Like, oh man, morality changes. Right, right. Listen to how Dr. White handles that. Question about it. So morality changes based upon where you live. And when you live. And when you live. Yes. So the obvious question I think is crossing everyone's mind here then is, uh, upon what basis could we say it was moral for us um, to have entered into World War II against the Axis powers, given that the morality that prevailed in their culture could have said that it was good uh, to slaughter Jews and uh, gypsies and, and people like that. Why did we have a moral reason for engaging in a war like that? In our judgment, yes, we did. And in Germans' judgment, no, we did not. So That's there what was... makes it work. That's what humanity is all about. So those people gave their lives based upon uh, just a moral judgment made in one particular area that wasn't necessarily true someplace else. Yes, absolutely. Because people make their moral judgments based on the information that's available to them at the time. Just like slavery used to be moral here in the United States, and it used to be supported by the New and the Old Testament. But now we all know that slavery well, is an intolerable, uh, immoral thing. Uh, so, so you're actually asserting that the laws on slavery in the Old Testament had something to do with the American form of slavery? I am saying that the laws, that the New Testament and the Old Testament were both used to support slavery among Christians in America. But you recognize that a written document can be used to support almost anything as long as you don't worry about its context, right? A written document, in fact, the Bible can be used to support anything at all. Anything at all you can support with the Bible, yes. By ignoring its context or in its context? By supposing and presupposing its context. And by taking things the context and making it fit the morality that you currently have. For instance, the Pauline epistles specifically mention that a slave has to obey his master. That, if taken into the context, can be used to support slavery. But you would agree, I would hope, that we should interpret any text like that within the original context which was written, right? If we interpret it, we are subjecting it to our own thoughts, and we are taking our own morality and reading it into the Bible. Your interpretation of the Bible within its context is exactly that. It's your interpretation, your brain's interpretation of the Bible in the context that you think. Have you written anything, Mr. Silverman? Have I written anything? Published a book, booklet, anything like that? I published lots of articles on the internet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, After you're dead, will they still have the same meaning they had when you wrote them? That's a pretty broad statement. Will Will they they still have have the same same meaning? (laughs) When you you write a sentence, do you intend it to communicate an actual meaning to someone? Yes. Do you have children? Yes. When you command, do you have teenagers? Yes. Oh, man. And I've seen, you, your, I've seen your video where you talk about having a teenage girl. Have, and you experience, have you experienced what I've experienced in the past where the teenager only hears half of the sentence, which instead of clean your room, then we'll go to have pizza, all they hear is the we're going to have pizza part? Have you experienced that? I certainly have. Okay. Summer. Summer. Summertime Unbelievable. Sadness. Unbelievable. <laughs> You were used as you were used as a pawn in your father's debate. <laughs> now we know 
what Summer does when she's told to do something by her dad. Mm. She only hears what she wants to hear. Give her one instruction, and then the next one will be a surprise. Interesting. Now we know some some dirt on Summer. We're going to use that from now on. <laughs> dirt, I think that all of us, like all of our parents would say about us. I don't know what you're talking Not about. Not mine. Uh, no. Now, Never Luke's. Back uh, to the serious part. When again. you say something serious to your teenager, do you intend to be interpreted within the context you intend them to interpret your words in? Yes. Okay, so when the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, should not our first concern be to know what he intended his original audience to understand? But or are that, you denying that we can't know what that was? We can't know what that was. We cannot know. Well, that's what I'm saying. In our current morality, we can't. You're talking about a 2,000-year-old document. We can't even determine if it was written by whom. Well, Who wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm confused. Written. So you, you cannot read uh, Cicero and understand anything Cicero said? I can understand what he says, but Why? I can't. Because he uses words. Didn't Paul use words? Words, yes. Okay. And so... <laughs> So I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Uh, are are you actually trying to say that uh, Paul's letters, where he actually says that a slave should obey the master, doesn't say that slavery is okay? Uh, yeah, that's a conclusion. You're asking me a question now. I need to keep asking you questions. Oh, I'm sorry. Shouldn't we interpret what Paul said about the subject of slavery within the context in which he said it in antiquity? not within the context of American slavery, which existed 1,800 years later and was fundamentally different in its form, purposes, and foundation. In my personal moral opinion, slavery is always wrong, sir. And that's my personal moral judgment. And there's no that's way That's not what I asked that. you. I didn't... And there is where the wheels came off. Did you hear it? In my personal judgment, slavery is always wrong. Mm. But he said at the very beginning, what about morality? That it's relative to the community and the time that you live in, and that it's a personal judgment call, right? Now, if you take his original statement and you put it with that statement, you see the complete collapse of his worldview, which happens often with the unbeliever, with the militant atheist, with the person who refuses to give God the glory for their life. You see that. You see the person that cannot construct a meaningful coherent system of ethics mm. because they can't point to God as the source, right? They can only point to themselves and their personal preference. So if you actually follow David Silverman's worldview and what he says there, then what do you have? You have slavery actually being a moral good. Why? Because back when people did right. it, the community that actually performed it and actually was a part of slavery, no matter what form it was, said that this is actually good. Right. Right? And you can't argue with that because it's a judgment call based upon society and based upon the time period that they're living in. So in other words, here's the point. If you take David Silverman's worldview and you leap back into the time where you had an abusive, unbiblical form of slavery that happened in America, mm -hmm. say in Georgia, right? A wicked form of slavery that deserved capital punishment upon anybody who engaged in it according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. You take Silverman, you put him in that society, and you have him now as a revolutionary, saying, let's form a revolution and let's actually stop this wicked form of slavery. In that society, according to David Silverman's worldview, he's immoral. Yep. Why? Because the community of that day said this is a moral good. David Silverman's arguing against it, so he's the anarchist. 
he's the person that's actually immoral, arguing against what society at that time actually said was good. Also, if you take David Silverman, you put him in Germany, and you let him hang, hang out outside of Auschwitz in Germany, guess what? He's immoral for complaining. Mm. Who cares what they're doing to those Jews at that time period? According to David Silverman's worldview, that current society in that time, those people said it was good. I know it looks like a person. It's not a person. It's a Jew. We can kill him. And David Silverman arguing outside of Auschwitz would be the immoral person, according to his worldview. But of course, you see, the Christian doesn't have that problem. The Christian can actually look at a society and a culture and say, I know that's wrong with certainty, objectively. Why? Because God says here. Because according to God's revelation, we know this. And so you can point with certainty with, to what is actually immoral on an objective basis based upon the character and revelation of God. See? Unbelievers have these problems and these contradictions just because they abandon God and his revelation. And Summer needs to listen to a little bit of God's revelation <laughs> when it comes to obeying your parents and the Lord. No doubt. It's the first commandment with blessing, Summer. Clean your room. Yeah. Clean your room. Honor and, your father and, and mother. And then you'll get pizza, Summer. <laughs> All right, guys. Take a break. We're going to do another one when we come back. Classic Apologia right now examining some uh, debate, biblical worldview, Stay with us. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W H I T E. F-I-E-L-D dot E-D-U. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. I'm Nathan Bell. And I'm Greg Dutcher. Greg and I have the privilege of co-hosting These Go to 11 podcasts. We cover everything from amillennialism to Zeus worship. See what I did there, bro? A to Z? Yeah, but we do talk a lot about everything. Theology, movies, books, politics, and we have great guests on too. Tim Challey, Stephen Altrogi, Dr. John Frame, authors that make us think. And we're not afraid of controversy either. Calvinism and Arminianism, charismatic gifts. If it's a lightning rod, then we're going to set it high on the roof in a thunderstorm. So join us each week. At least one new episode is released every Tuesday night after 10 because every episode goes to what, Greg? Oh, we'll just let Nigel say it. These go to 11. Say I won't rock food, boo, sucker. Say I won't. Say I won't. I don't do what you do, sucker. Waka flocka waka waka West side like I'm Tupaka West side like I'm Chewbacca Like I'm Chewbacca Paisano's Wally So this one you actually don't like? I do not like this one. From Andy Mineo? 
How about you? How can you not like anything about Chewbacca? <clears throat> this is like Star Wars. You like sucker? I don't like this song. Embody Chewbacca. Sucker. Well, we just had a TV show. We'd love for you guys to watch. Not with Andy Minio. Not with Andy Minio, but with the truth. And it was really an amazing uh, time. We got Did to talk about truth? some uh, the truth. Uh, yeah, we're laughing because. For some reason, at the beginning of the episode, I was calling him V-Truth. Uh, welcome to our very white television show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it was a great show. We had a good time. It was a blast. And uh, we actually did an after show with him, too. All and an after, was a lot of fun. after show. And an after after show. Um, so, Buckle. we're back. It's kind of cool. Like, we've been doing this a lot lately. We do the show, the radio show, and then we take a break to do the TV show and have lunch, and now we're back. So we're all uh, full of food right now. Or not. This is, so maybe the tempo slows down at the end of the episode now because of all the food we have in us. I think maybe that's what it is. Yeah. All right, so... Um, so you can check out that episode at ApologiaRadio.com. Again, as always, thank you to every one of our ministry partners. Uh, you know, it may not seem like a lot. $7.95 is a donation in your ministry partner. It may not seem like a lot. But when you have a lot of people to partner with us, it actually creates a significant opportunity for us to be able to do a lot more as a ministry. And um, and so thank you. So all that stuff that's coming out there, it's it's all because of you guys helping. And I want to encourage you guys also to check out, if you have not seen the Apologia Academy at ApologiaRadio.com, I encourage you guys to go ahead and take a look at it. There's a lot of stuff up there right now and more coming uh, really as we speak. New stuff will be dropped all the time. Just keep looking back. And uh, there's some, man, I'll tell you what, the lectures from NSA, um, that I just can't wait for you guys to see all of them. They're really, really, really good. Uh, oh, by the way, Marcus, I'll say, yes. it on the, I'll say it on the air so we commit us. Can you do something for those NSA lectures? Can you get a hold of the speakers for those? And could you get them to send you book recommendations for those talks? Absolutely. Because that's what we do on, on Apology Academy. We send you like free links. Uh, with additional like information, books, uh, debates, even on the topic. Um, yeah, and I, mean, and I think the first lecture is ready to go up too. So oh, okay, good. So I, you soon. know, I may even happen. I I may be able to look at that lecture and then give some more recommendations to go with. Yeah, it. sounds great. So yeah, I can probably do that. So guys, check it out, Apology Academy, and we have a new website coming that's going to just be uh, really useful to you, I think, and it's going to look beautiful, Tim who's a member at Apologia Church, and a whole crew from, what's it called? Reform Reformed Developers. Reform Developers are working on that website. So thank you guys for doing that for us, being a part of this whole thing. And uh, yeah, let's get right back to it, guys. So we are on, we just finished the clip with David Silverman. Um, and let's stay in that same vein right now. And let's do this clip right here. This is really... A classic debate. If you haven't seen yet, it really is worth your time. You, you should see it. This one is, uh, the question is, does the triune God of Scripture exist? I think actually the title was, does the triune God of Scripture live? That was actually the, that tells you how much of a nerd I am. I know the actual title of the debate in this video is incorrect. So uh, does the triune of God of, does the triune God of Scripture live? It was done in 1997 between Douglas Wilson and Dan Barker. This is from a cross-examination portion of the debate, and I gotta say, I think of all the debates on atheism against atheists, my favorite, of course, all-time favorite debate. What do you think it is, guys? All-time favorite debate. Bonson. Bonson versus Stein. Stein. Stein, Bonson versus Stein. If you have not heard that debate yet, guys, I'm telling you, turn your TV off tonight. Turn your, turn them internets off tonight. Uh, Matter of fact, 
turn this podcast off right now and go come back to it. Please come back. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs> um, but go and, and, and download from cmfnow.com, cmfnow.com, and go get the Bonsenstein debate. It might even actually be up on YouTube for free, mm. but you should support the legacy and estate of Dr. Greg Just Bonson. Just make sure you do that before you turn your internets off. Yes, that's right. Dim internet. Um, and so get, get, get the debate, listen to it 10 times. The first time I ever listened to the debate between Bonson and Stein, my, my head was spinning because I had never seen, heard, um, an atheist so thoroughly refuted in a debate. And it blew my mind because the way in which Bonson came against him was so consistently Christian. I heard it instantly. I thought, I've never heard a Christian in a debate with an atheist and Christian ever, ever stand so firmly committed to Scripture and Jesus. And so I was actually really, really surprised by it. And I had to listen to it again to figure out what just happened. And then again to go, okay, now I'm now I get it. And so it's Bonson versus Stein, but this, 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 this. There's also a full transcript. Is there? You can read it all. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Real handy. And I would say there's some lecture notes out there about what he was thinking during the debate. Really? Yeah. Where can yeah. you get that? What do you think? Just Google uh, that. It's it's where all his uh, the, the archive for all his. Um, oh, it's a cmfnow.com. Yeah. 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 So cmfnow.com huh. has that. Just to the left. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. To the left of the browser, uh, down at the bottom, it has a bunch of free articles and links from Bonson. So uh, by the you, way, you know what else? You know what else there is? What it exists, but I don't think many people have seen it. Uh huh. Because it's not allowed to be published. But me and Sai have seen it. There's a lot, a lot. Of letters between Bonson and Stein after the debate they wrote back and forth to each other. And you saw this where? Uh, American Vision. Yeah, they, in their archives, their secret lair. In their secret lair, and it's never been published. Oh, I think, come on. I think, Give it to the world. I think Cy, like made like copies and brought them all. Come on. <laughs> Give it to I the know, world. Right? Like, Give, Give it to the, the world. world. For Give real. World. Come on, Seriously. guys. <laughs> oh, man. It's really well, good. Well, um, so, by the way, if you want, like, my favorite, like, that cmfnow.com is where I go and I'm like, I just want to be refreshed. I'm going to get some solid teaching. I go to cmfnow.com and I download Bonson's sermons, his lectures. Hey, guess what? If you go there and you look at Bonson's MP3s <coughs> and you look through his history of preaching and teaching, of course you'll have the seminary classes on apologetics and like the, uh, the law of God, theonomy, those, you know, important stuff. But you'll also see like 200 sermons on the book of Hebrews, 150 sermons on the gospel according to Luke. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And then my favorite and I think Joy's favorite too, if I remember this correctly, I don't is, have anything on is Bonson on Proverbs, right? No, my favorite is his. He has a four-part series on the heart. Oh, that's right, oh, on the heart. That's right. That's also on CMF. Yes, and that is. I mean, yeah. I mean, they give CMF gives you two downloads, so I think I've bought that four-part <laughs> series like right ten times. Yeah, just because like lose new it. phones or <laughs> right. whatever, like. Yeah. So I just always make sure to have it on some right. electronic device that Didn't I own. Didn't he write it in light of his surgery? Um, on the Didn't, heart issue? It wasn't, isn't the, in the context of, of... This is like Bonson and Urban Legends right now. I think that he uses that to contextual... Like, that comes up. Yeah. That's my favorite part of it because of his, like physical issues with his heart. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. But it, he didn't write it because of... He didn't do it because of it. 
but it does that like he has a particularly like emotional connection like there's moments in those when he like chokes up and you're like whoa whoa oh man i heard he transcribed it with his brain yeah (laughs) yeah man bonson is just my hero it is one one, nerdy conversation it is it really is one one thing is is and i think i was i was having some private conversations with like damar about this and even damar said like when bonson died they they said they were like what are we going to do god how can we do this without bonson right like maybe that's why god took him you know, right. home because they were like, "Lord, how can we do this without him?" Right. And uh, but here's the thing about Bonson: like, you may know him uh, with his like unbelievable mind. It really is. I I think Bonson was one of the greatest gifts to the church when it comes to, like apologetics and philosophy in the entire history of the church. Um, but there's an aspect to Bonson a lot of people don't know about his sermons and his preaching, how he ministered to his church. He was so he was so he so loved his people and he was so committed to like shepherding his people. And if you listen to his sermons, like like Joy's talking about, like on the heart or on the Proverbs, I mean, they are like some of the most amazing sermons. And not, not only exegetically faithful and classic Bonson, but they are just like the minister's heart. It's like really, really, really good. So uh, cmfnow.com is where I go. Uh, that, that some of my favorite lectures are, are up there. So go there. Get the Bonson-Stein debate. Okay. So anyway, that got me all the way to the point I was trying to make was that in all the atheist Christian debates, the cross-examination sections from this debate, Barker versus, Wil- Barker versus Wilson, my favorite. Like yeah, this is good stuff. You got to get away yeah. from like obviously Bonson Stein can never be beat, can't be touched. But this particular how Wilson handles Barker, Barker is not handled very easily. He is a clever, very smart, intellectual atheist. He knows how to play in a debate. He knows how to get out of questions and challenges. And the way Wilson handled him in this perfection mm-hmm. it was really 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 good so if you haven't heard that yet go check it out that's up there i don't even think you need to worry about like copyright stuff that's just up on youtube and uh you need to get it so here you go this actually in line with what we're talking about atheism and morality here's a good section right here of wilson i believe cross-examining barker if you object to God doing this, and he is God, uh, and then you deny his existence or deny any satisfactory proof for his existence, on what possible grounds can you object to this sort of behavior? Because physical harm is undesirable. It hurts. The basis of morality is that which causes harm is something, that which causes unnecessary harm is something which we should avoid. Inside the womb or out? Either way, it's not my. I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm not going to make that choice. But either way, e- even if I feel that abortion is wrong, I don't feel that it's right for me to impose that on a woman. A woman's going to make that. Yeah, choice. but the nervous system involved, the baby who's being slaughtered, uh, has a different nervous system than the woman. And you've said that pain, pain to human beings, to innocent human beings, is objectionable. And I want to know why you think it's objectionable. Because we are human beings, and our nature is that we don't. Uh, we flee from pain. Pain is useful to us for survival. So pain is by definition something that we want to avoid. And so morality is basically wrapped up in the avoidance of unnecessary harm. Sometimes harm is necessary. Sometimes there is a, a real moral decision that comes not from a simplistic list of do this or don't do this. The real moral dilemmas come when you have a conflict of positive values. It's no big deal to say should I should I stab you or shouldn't I, right? But the big deal is what are the two what is the, what are the relative merits of the positive values involved? So sometimes a surgeon, for example, 
Suppose I were to walk up to you with a knife and start cutting into your body. That would be immoral, unethical, and I'd probably go to jail for it, right? Right. Unless, that was a baby. Unless you had a tumor within you, if you had a tumor within you that needed to be excised, then this cutting into you would be deemed a good thing. It would be causing harm, but it would be a necessary harm for a greater good. So, so morals are relative. Morals are relative to the situation, and there are situations where a woman may decide for herself that she knows this is not a child within her. She knows it's not a baby. This woman knows that this is a developing fetus, and she's deciding, and most women who do have abortions really struggle with this thing, but she's deciding and she's weighing the, the life of her six kids who are born who need her. She's weighing the relative merits, and she's making a decision. I'm satisfied that you've not answered this question. I'd like to ask him. What do you mean I've answered it first? <laughs> well, he, let, me, let me move the same situation to Oklahoma City, which you brought up. Um, why? Given, given the fact that there is no God and no objective morality, and you've just told us that morality is relative to the situation. But there is objective basis, I said, for morality. I didn't okay. say there's no objective morality. Okay, what is that basis? It's, it's nature. It's human nature and pain. Uh, we, we evolved to require water, for example. What if we had evolved to require um, uh, something else, like arsenic? Then this might be evil, but, but relative to our human nature, to what helps us and what's, what either enhances our life or what causes harm for our life, we can say relative to our human nature, this is something that's good. There is no we also make objective good out of them. We also evolved. We also evolved a mechanism whereby we blow up our enemies. So why was doing that in Oklahoma City wrong? Because that hurts. It causes pain. To your morality, morality is, if you don't grasp the simple idea that morality is an issue of avoiding pain, blowing up people in Oklahoma City was painful, it was tragic, it was awful, it was bloody, Given, and you ought to know that there's something wrong with well, that. Oh, I, I know there's something wrong with it, but I only know it because there's God, the triune God, the scripture. The, you mean the, you would not, it would not have dawned on you without the Bible that there's something wrong with killing? I mean, you're so dumb that you couldn't have thought it through for yourself? I mean, think about it. You, do we really need... Do we really need, I don't mean you personally, I know you're intelligent, but do we really need these tablets from Mount Sinai to tell us there's something wrong with causing harm? No. So that's, that's a good place to, to chat for just a, just a minute. Um, when an atheist says, uh, okay, there's A, option A, option B in terms of behavior. One is causing harm, one is minimizing harm or doing good, right? The point that Wilson is trying to get across to Barker, and he, he knows he can't answer it, and so I believe that he's trying to avoid really providing some kind of a foundation. The point is, is you have two behaviors that have occurred over evolutionary time. You've got one is causing harm, one is, say, doing good. And so the question is, on what basis as an atheist who believes that we live in this unpurposed, unguided universe, this cosmos, and, and look, Barker admitted, he said as much right there, he admitted it, he says there's no cosmic objective basis for morality, right? So at that point, it's personal preference. So here's the question. Right. Well, how come I shouldn't cause harm? And he goes, well, because it hurts. Right. It causes pain to other human beings. Well, and, well, so? Still haven't provided me a basis yet. Tell, tell that to the guy who likes to hurt people. Tell that to the guy who likes to hurt people. He enjoys hurting people in this ungoverned, unpurposed universe. He enjoys it. He likes to do it. You can't say to him, well, you can't do that to other humans. He says, well, why not? Because it causes harm. He goes, I know I like causing harm. It's my favorite thing to do. Right. I enjoy doing that. You, you got to tell me something other than uh, I shouldn't cause harm to other human beings because he enjoys doing it. That's what he likes to do. And you can't say, well, because I don't want you to. Well, your preference isn't really... Of it doesn't even merit here. I, I'm going to hurt you now, you know? So the, the point is, is you cannot simply say emotionally, well, I don't like harm inflicted to me, so I don't want to inflict it to others. Well, there are a lot of people in this world that don't think like you. And there are other random results of this evolutionary process that got us here, and you're not in charge of them. So is there some other basis besides your personal preference and you don't like to cause pain? Because a lot of people enjoy causing pain. 
Why don't we just kerosene the whole, whole anthill? That's a good question. Blow the whole thing up. We say, we shouldn't do that. The human, human race wouldn't flourish. Wow, what's the assumption there? That the human race is worthy of protecting and should flourish. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Why not choose some other random evolutionary or result of evolutionary processes and say that that should survive? That should flourish more than us. Do you get the point? Is that atheism can't provide it. It can't provide the preconditions necessary for the things that it's saying and doing. So here we go. Happened in Oklahoma City, given your principles, was nothing but the scattering of protoplasm. It caused harm to protoplasm. It caused harm to human beings who don't want harm caused to them. Um, okay, so any human being who doesn't want harm caused to him should not have harm caused to him. That's the idea of morality, not necessarily. Okay. Now, why, why are these other people, these different nerve centers, these different nervous systems, why is their word authoritative? Their word? Who's yeah, why do I have to leave them alone? Because we're part of the same human race. We're the same organism. We relate to each other. Those of us who care about human suffering, and I think there's a lot of us in this world, those of us who care empathize. We, we recognize that other human beings are part of us and we're now, part of the community. I understand that you care. I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out why. Because I'm a human being. I don't like pain. And so I project that to other human beings, and I know they don't like pain either. So I care about them by extension. Do you think that the history of the human race reveals that one of the things that the human race likes to do besides avoiding pain is that the human race likes to uh, give it? Yeah, and usually it's in the name of a god that they do it. Uh, would you like to would you like a comparative body count between the um, Spanish Inquisition and the Crusades and the secularist Crusades of this century? We could, but what's the point? Well, a few millions. <laughs> no, what's the point? He's oh, a few million. That was awesome. Oh, Teach man. me how to Dougie. There you go. Thanks, man. I'm glad you pulled it up. I was already. Yeah, right on. So that that's classic Wilson right there. I mean, yes, absolutely brilliant. And, so and quick. Yeah, so fast. So, so fast. And uh, he has what he calls copiousness. And he actually teaches that at New St. Andrews. Copiousness. Uh, and that is a beautiful thing, right? And the atheists, particularly internet atheists, love that argument. Oh, Christianity is over the centuries, you know, religion has caused so many wars. And they, but if you actually look at a chart, look at a graph, and you say, uh, let's look at all of the people who have died in religious wars versus all the people who have died in, under atheist mm-hmm. regimes, and they win by the metric ton. Mm-hmm. Atheist regimes have killed way, 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 way more people than any kind of religious war ever has or probably ever will to be honest with you. And the interesting thing is, and this is going to copy right in a moment, I want to make sure I just provide some commentary before you hear it. Here's the difference. If there, are any, if there are people in history that name the name of Christ and they call themselves Christians, right? Say, I love Jesus, I'm standing on his word. But then they engage in some awful, unjust, wicked actions. Think about it. What they're doing contradicts what they say they believe. What they're doing contradicts what they say they're standing on, the word of God, right? So they're living a contradictory way. But if you look for a moment at the atheist regimes in history who have killed way more people, the atheists are acting at that point consistently with their professed view of the world. See the difference? Yeah, there are Christians in history that have done some pretty nasty things. Hey, guess what? You're listening to one. Get it? But everything that I've ever done as a, as a professing believer that was evil, was acting, acting contradictory to what Christ actually calls me to. 
But the atheist, when he acts, as Dr. Bonson said, and this is in the classic sense, as a bunch of asses, when the atheist acts like an ass in history, he is acting consistently with his professed view of the world. And I mean that in the most classic sense. Okay, so here we go. If a, if a political regime that's based on some kind of religious or non-religious philosophy commits immoral acts, therefore we should completely discredit the entire regime. Most Christians would say, don't blame Jesus for the Inquisition, right? Yeah, don't blame it, Jesus for the Crusades, right? The, the yet most Christians are eager to blame atheists for Stalinism. The, the reason for this, uh, the, the reason for this, and I'd like to ask you to respond to it, is when the Grand Inquisitor did what he did in the name of Jesus Christ, he was saying one thing and he was standing on something else. His premise was inconsistent with what he was doing. I have been able to find no inconsistency in the worldview of Stalin. Could you please tell me how he was inconsistent? Well, he claimed uh, to be seeking the common good, and yet he caused pain. He caused harm. Well, for the, for the common good. Well, that he may caused be, harm. It may be a mistake. That's inconsistent to be claiming to be seeking the common good, but yet to be doing something was, opposed to it. Was Stalin mistaken or immoral? Both. He was mistaken and he was immoral. Okay, and he was... He was immoral even though there's no cosmic objective standard of morality. Right. Did you hear it? There's no cosmic ex- objective standard of morality, but Stalin was immoral. Hmm. I make that fit. How does that work? It doesn't. A lot of times Christians, well, particularly in this generation with so many militant, hostile atheists, will listen to the hostile, militant atheists like the Krauss or the Dawkins or the Dennett or the Harris or the Hitchens and they'll actually be like I don't know if I can handle that these guys are pretty like these guys are pretty rough they're pretty abrasive they seem like they know what they're talking about but you know what it's all bluff and bluster it's just it's just it's tempest in a tea in a teapot like it's absolutely nothing there's not a lot to fall back on for the unbeliever when they don't have God when you give up God you actually do embrace foolishness and there you had it no objective cosmic standard of morality and then call Stalin immoral. Mm. Immoral because he took human life, which you have absolutized. I haven't absolutized it, no. As a relative, I said it's relative to us, the way we have evolved, the natures that we have. It could have been different. Things could have been different. We didn't even have to evolve. But. Okay, now, is, is the process of evolution, whatever happens, is that, is that what you're appealing to? We, it happens that we evolve, avoid pain, but it's also, it also happens that we inflict it. Why, why do you choose the avoidance of pain as the standard of morality and not the inflicting of pain? Because we don't like pain. I mean, it's pretty simple. But we I like mean, inflicting it. Well, I don't think we Why do you choose one over the other? I don't like inflicting pain. Do you? No, I don't, but there's lots okay, of people... Well, most of us don't. There was, and those, there was a chap in Oklahoma City that did. And what we do then is we, we, we have laws and we have a system of justice and we have self-defense and we have jails. Those of us in society who do care about morality and stopping pain try to protect ourselves from the others who don't, usually have, in the name of a God. You have two behaviors, if you human beings. One is the avoidance of pain, the other is the inflicting of it, and you have arbitrarily ranked one over the other, and I would like to know why. That's called morality by definition. That's what morality is. You don't have to have a why. If you're going to be a moral person, that's what morality is by according, definition. According to? According to me. I'm a human being. Okay, according, according to most human beings on this planet. We agree. According to Hitler? Well, Hitler uh, was a member of the Catholic Church in good standing. He was never excommunicated. He, he referred to continuing the work of Jesus. Uh, well, I thought the time was to his question, not to my response. No. Classic moment. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I encourage you guys to do it. There's also another one just popped up in the suggested videos. Forgot to mention that one. Should religion and government be strictly 
uh, separate, and that is also Wilson versus Barker, and we've played, I think, some of that on this show before, but um, I think that'll bless you, and we'll do, you guys, unless you have something you want to say, we'll do one more clip, one more, you good, Joy, we're good over there? Mm-hmm. Okay, lunch sitting well with you guys? Oh, it's sitting all right. Okay, all right. So, uh, it's a long episode, but we want to try to keep consistency here and let you guys hear a bunch, and so, you know, some some shows will do like a daily or or or. or Two shows or three shows a week. We'll give you one ginormous episode, okay? So one more, and this is in the same vein, talking about atheism. This is uh, Bonson. Bonson and George Smith on a radio program from California. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, right now it's up on YouTube. So it's the case for and against God, Greg Bonson and George Smith. This is a caller. This is one of my favorite parts. This is a caller that called into the show at the very, very end and he calls in, essentially offers a challenge. He's an atheist, and you need to hear it. The question comes down to the issue of logic, and uh, it's brilliant. You just need to hear it. Max, a first-time caller from Canoga Park, although I think I've heard from Max before. Max, you're on KKLA. How do you do? Okay. Uh, George. Yes. I've got your book, and it's uh, dog-geared and underlined and highlighted all over the place. I think it's the best book that has ever been written on atheism. That is, uh, I think, pretty common fare amongst atheists. Uh, George Smith's book, The Case, I think it's called The Case Against God. Atheism, The Case Against God, very popular book. Most atheists, that's like the standard textbook. So, But the, root, the title should really be Atheism, The Case Against the Idea of God. Yes. And that's what you meant. Yeah, there was a little uh, dramatic license taken. Uh, that would have spoiled the symmetry of the title. <laughs> right. So it is. It is the case. It's a philosophical case against God, obviously. Mm-hmm. And as to this uh, explaining thing, how does one explain existence? Uh, to me, that is totally absurd. I agree. Uh, existence is simply the causal primary. In other words, if you ask for a causal explanation of something, that presupposes something that ex- exists and acts as a causal agent. Exactly. And yeah. all of the arguments for the existence of God presuppose the existence of God. It's question begging. There's no problem from beginning to end. Hold on, Max. Let uh, Greg Bonson respond to that. Good point. Yeah, I I think that is one of the most common and silly arguments against the Christian apologetic imaginable. Of course, arguments in favor of God presuppose the existence of God, just like arguments in favor of atheistic reason presuppose atheistic reason. Uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute, sir. Wait a minute. Just one minute. There is no reason to presuppose reason. Reason exists naturally. Oh, it does? Reason, we wouldn't... That was one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. Hmm. There's no reason to presuppose reason. Try and do that. Try and reason and use logic without presupposing reason Hmm. and the laws of logic. And then watch who says, he says, reason exists naturally. naturally." And Bonson says, oh, it does? (laughs) Watch. Where did you, now wait a minute, where did you find reason growing naturally? Show me where that is. Someplace in the United States? Reason? Reason yeah. is the human brain, sir. Oh, it is. Well, then what you're talking about is electrochemical processes in the brain. Is that not that natural? Place. Is that not natural? Well, that certainly is natural, but that's not at all what you mean by reason, I assure you, when you talk about the use of the laws of logic, because your brain cells are not being controlled by anything like the laws of logic. Oh, what are my they brain might cells be, being controlled by? Well, I would argue they're being controlled by God, but that's not, the, that's not the answer you want. The question that I have for you is, if you assume the laws of physics and biology and so forth, I would 
I would think that you believe your brain cells are being controlled by those laws, in which case you're not really thinking and making free decisions when you say the things you do, even arguing against God. You're simply the subject of biochemical responses. Sure, that is sure. not what we have meant historically by the use of reason. Sir, as to controlling things by natural laws, natural laws are nothing more than uniform uh, occurrences that, that do happen with unvarying uniformity. Natural and laws? Have, those things. have you, you ever seen a natural law? Pardon? Have, Max, have you ever seen a natural law? I beg your pardon? Max, have you ever seen a natural law? Have you ever tasted one, smelt one? Of course not. The entire uh, concept of a, of a law is totally abstract. Exactly. It's talking about direct experience. Now, can you explain to me how in an atheist universe there are such things as abstract entities? <laughs> Come on. Every idea, every thought is an abstraction. That's right. Every one of them's proof that uh, you're wrong as an atheist then. They, they, How do you account for the existence of abstract ideas in an atheist universe? They don't grow on trees, Max. You've already granted that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, now, look. Live by oh, your boy. own presuppositions. It's, it's, That's all I'm calling you to do. Is God an abstraction, Greg? Uh, no. God is, what, a what personal, is God is a personal, non-physical being. He's non-physical. There you go. What is to be more specific? I mean, you know, non-existence is non-physical as well. So how do we distinguish God from non-existence? I'm not hanging well, out, George. Make him explain God. <laughs> okay, Max, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing my best, Max. Max, appreciate the call. Okay, go ahead. Well, obviously you uh, distinguish God, a non-physical being, from, say, the concept of love, or, say, the concept of number, or the laws of physics, or the laws of logic. You distinguish them according to their characteristics. Yeah. God is a person, makes choices, and does things, numbers he's do a, not. He's a non-physical person. He's a non-physical person, that's right. Uh, well, you know that already, George, so make your point. I'm, well, I'm trying to, I don't understand what the concept person, obviously. I, in other words, as Max said, there's a question here. You're getting on his case about these abstractions, and you're claiming God somehow explains Oh, no, I don't think there's any problem with abstractions, well, that somehow except the in an atheist not... universe. In an atheist universe, what you have is a physical eyeball and a physical ear and, you know, some kind of stuff inside the head no, okay. called brain. Okay, now, whatever the, okay, what I want to know is where you get abstraction. Let me, let me put physical it, particularity. All right, so that is just a little bit of a taste. Dr. Bonson versus George Smith. Ooh, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. So that was uh, today's episode of Apologia Radio. Anything else you guys want to add to the discussion before we tell everyone goodbye? I just love how they act like they don't understand the question as a way to buy time to think about the right. question. Right. Hey. <laughs> yeah. They just say, oh, oh, boy. 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 <laughs> Atheists want a gimme. Uh, we talk about this a lot, right? Give me logic. Give me arithmetic. Give me love. Give me ethics. Let me have it just as a gimme. Just grant me that so I can get my my argument launched, right? And then when you start pressing and say, well, no, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about whether you actually have a coherent justification and basis for love, for morality, for logic, for arithmetic, for laws, immaterial laws. You got to ask that question. How about those? And that's what the atheist completely oh boy <laughs> oh boy because because there's no way to get that in an atheistic universe can't happen all right thank you guys for staying with us today on apologia radio another episode don't forget to sign up for all access guys when you do you partner with us when you do you actually help all of this content get out 
and uh, encourage you guys to go check out again all the new stuff that's up there at ApologiaRadio.com. King Ginger. What's up? Thanks, man. All right. On the ones and twos. <laughs> Steady Randy, thanks for hooking up with us today and staying with us. Bet. Austin, Cabela, with your Cabela's hat on. You're welcome. Yeah. Joy the girl, thank you. See ya. Luke the bear. It's been my pleasure. Gabe, thanks for hooking up today, man. You're over there on the couch, but thanks, man. Dustin's in the background. Hacksaw, Jim Justice. Or. All right, guys. God bless you. Catch you next time. Apology or radio. This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family-integrated church, so we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the Community Center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at ApologiaChurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. (laughs) Glory!